everyone. Welcome back to Exploring Health at Every Size. Today we are talking to Tina Madani-Kia. Tina is an MD candidate. She is in her second year of medical school at the University of Alberta. So listen along to hear her experience learning about health at every size, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay. Hello, Tina. Thank you so much for joining me today to chat about this. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So I'm just wondering if to get started, if you could just give us a little bit of an introduction of yourself, who you are and kind of what you do in life. Yeah. So my name is Tina. I'm a second year medical student at the University of Alberta. Um, So I'm currently living in Edmonton, but I grew up in BC um, in like Burnaby and like Coquitlam. And I did my undergraduate degree in immunology and physiology at UBC. Um, And then I uh, moved here for medical school. Amazing. How are you liking school so far? Uh, it's like a wild ride. I'm in second (laughs) year right now. Um, it's a lot of information to go through at once. A lot of like thinking about things in different ways, like being in like new environments that I haven't experienced before, like clinical environments. Um, but it's been like a really, really like amazing learning journey. Um, I would say it's just been a lot, but, uh, manageable so far. (laughs) Surviving through it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that as a student myself, for sure. School is amazing and you learn so much, but when in it, it is a crazy roller coaster for sure. Yeah, it really feels like the learning never ends. <laughs> mm-hmm, totally. Um, yeah, and so I kind of wanted to chat to you today about your kind of identity as a medical student and your experience in that kind of area and just kind of chat to you about maybe what you have learned about health at every size, or if there's kind of a gap in that area in, you know, the medical field or medical education. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, So yeah, like I was telling you a little bit earlier before we started like recording, I think um, in terms of the movement itself, like health at every size, I hadn't actually heard of like that like what it was called health at every size. I hadn't heard of that particular phrase, but, you know, as I was looking into it and reading about it, I found that, you know, a lot of the themes um, behind it were like reflected in some of the things that I had um, learned in medical school. Um, And I think it might be helpful to kind of like go through some of the things that we did learn in in medical school and the the ways that we learn about it. So a lot of the topics that we learn about, um, especially in first and second year, which is mostly like lecture based. Mm -hmm. um, So they're very didactically um, focused in terms of we have like a lecture and it's about like why a condition occurs, what the risk factors for it are, how um, it can present and the various treatments um, and complications that arise with that um, condition. And so that's like one section of like, that's how we learn about diseases and disease processes. Um, And then we have other like bits and pieces like spursed in between. So for instance, we have like communication sessions that teach us like how to interact with patients, how to be respectful, Mm -hmm. how to elicit information efficiently. And we also have like patient mentors that we get to talk about their lived experiences with them. So I think those things really help tie like the lecture parts together uh, in terms of like how to you know, actually implement the things that we're learning. Mm -hmm. So in terms of this topic, um, we had a lecture like 
specifically about um, the condition like called obesity, um, because at least in medical school, it's defined as like a medical condition and something that can impact patient lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that lecture, we were taught like the definition of it from the 2020 Canadian guidelines on obesity. Um, and it defined it as like a complex chronic disease where abnormal or excessive body fat is present, which can Im- impair health um, which can impair health or lead to increases in long-term medical complications. However, that definition came with the caveat that because of differences, like individual differences in body compositions and body fat distribution and function, the threshold to which this can impair health is highly variable um, from adult to adult. So from person to person, like two people with the same BMI might have like very different health risks and health outcomes. And one of our learning objectives in this lecture, um, which I think is important for like medical students and like anyone to really know is about like why this condition occurs um because i'm sure you know there's like so much stigma and misinformation in the world about like why obesity happens and like false beliefs that it's like a lack of self-control or like a moral failing but i think the truth is that it's like extremely multifactorial and so that's a lot of things that we learn is that like a big chunk of it is genetics, like the DNA that you were born with and was like passed down to you from your parents, which is something that's completely out of anyone's control. And so many other factors, like it's also well-documented that stress can induce like more eating or even like act on a person's metabolism to slow it down, um, as well as like the society that we live in, like whether someone lives in an area where they have like access to affordable, healthy food, or do they live in like a food desert where um, only like convenience foods are an option? Does this person have access to green spaces where they can spend time in nature and take walks or afford gym memberships? And just, there's just like so many like factors that are both societal and like biological and mm-hmm. that impact like the size that someone is. And I think understanding that goes a long way in like destigmatizing weight. And when we take a step back and recognize that, you know, it's not just like one uh, like decision or like um, it's not really a moral thing, but rather like a a process that with a lot of factors that results in size, um, I think that gives us a good understanding of kind of like how to approach the topic. Um, So that was like a big part of it. But at the same time, I think as like physicians, we also need to be able to know treatments that like can help with weight loss if that's something a person chooses to take on. So we also learn about um, like what lifestyle recommendations to give, as well as like the pharmacology of what medications or surgeries um, can help someone if they do want to work on that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you so yeah. much for that. Like totally well-rounded answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. Podcast done. <laughs> um, no, that was amazing. You really covered a lot of that. It sounds like in your experience in education, even though you might not learn about the exact like health at every size, like framework or approach, a lot of health at every size concepts are kind of like weaved through, which Mm -hmm. is, which is really good to hear. I've never been a medical student, so I wouldn't have that experience, but that's really good to hear that, you know, they are kind of adapting medical approaches to maybe like a new, more inclusive way for people, um, with all like people of all sizes, which is really kind of the root core of health at every size. So that's really good to hear that. Yeah. And yeah, I I guess definitely is important because like I have definitely like 
in both talking to patients and also just like listening to other like cool podcasts on this topic and stuff, I've just heard a lot of patients express frustration that like when they go to the doctor, like the their weight is the first thing they're they're asked about, even if the issue is just like completely different um, and just like so much stigma and judgment that's felt. Um, and I think this is something that's like just now like beginning to be talked about and like recognized and kind of the approach to it um, is at least shifting a little bit, um, at least in medical schools right now, but it might look very different in terms of what is actually being practiced right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of just going to bring up a little bit of that disparity because yeah, what you're kind of saying your experience with learning that is it does seem so forward thinking and Mm -hmm. like really kind of in line with the health at every size. But yeah, I do feel like there are a lot of like experiences with people, you know, going to the doctors or, or trying to get medical care and they can't. So I kind of wonder where that like disparity comes from. And I guess maybe that will change as, you know, younger um, people get out into the field. Yeah, I do. I think it's a very recent shift. Um, I think it has a lot to do with like, so for instance, like the communications aspect that I mentioned, um, which is like mm-hmm. a big part of what we learn is like how to take a patient history, right? And like what framework to use. And I think like the frameworks that we're being taught now are a lot more patient centered, um, but it is a very recent change. And I think our professor was saying as recently as like 10 years ago when he was in medical school, like it was still completely different. So I think these changes are still um, being made like day by day. Um, But sort of the framework that we're taught um, is like very patient centered. And so like a key question that we were taught to ask, um, you know, in in every encounter is, um, what is the patient's goal like for that visit today? What are they hoping to get out of that visit? What issue is it that they want to resolve? Mm-hmm. Um, and also what are their long-term health goals? Um, because I think before it sort of used to be a little bit more of like a paternalistic model in which the doctor told you, this is what we're going to work on. Like, this is what I think um, you should do. But I think a lot of research research has shown that like medicine is more effective when it's like a two-way street, when it's patient-centered, when it's more so um, there's a lot of shared decision-making. Um, so having been taught to ask that question, um, I think can, can be really helpful um, because weight might be something that the patient doesn't wish to discuss at all. Um, and I think if the doctor doesn't respect that and still continues to kind of like push that agenda, there isn't that like two-way buy-in and it's usually like not very effective. Um, so I think both parties have to be uh, involved and like, I guess, consenting to the various treatment plan. And that just doesn't work if one person um, or if the patient themselves like doesn't agree um, with the treatment. Yeah. I do think that that's really important and it's kind of putting the focus back onto the patient and you know, why are they here today? Even if they possibly do, if they are obese or they're categorized as obese, like if they come in for something completely unrelated Mm -hmm. to that, I guess where would be the, you know, doctors right. And kind of saying, oh no, that's actually the problem. And you need to deal with that. Yeah. And of course there are a lot of like there are some conditions that can be made better um, with weight loss, but like, I think just as important as how you address the issue, like how you make the patient feel like what that relationship is like, because, you know, if that trust is lost, then that patient may be less likely to come to you for other conditions that they might have or other concerns um, if they feel that they're not being listened to ultimately. Yeah. So I think that is quite important. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's a, actually one of the like big problems that are happening right now is that, you know, they, a lot of people in larger bodies just don't even seek out the medical help because of that kind of fear and that like stigmatization within the treatment that they just, they just need to lose weight and it's, it's their fault, you know, like the mm-hmm. control is on them. And that's like, they put themselves into the position of being overweight and they need to work out of it. Yeah. Especially like we talked about how there's so many, so many different factors that go into that. So it might not be something that is um, completely in someone's control. And um, I think another thing is that like weight is just like one component of someone's health. Right. So um, even though again, yeah, like social media and stigma make it seem like it's like the be all end all of health. Like it really isn't like, there's so many other like behaviors such as like getting regular exercise or eating a balanced diet or even taking care of someone's mental health or like seeking care for um, other conditions that might be concerning or like having a like support system that is able to help you through events that you're going through in your life. All of these things are indicative of living a healthy life of resiliency. Um, so it really goes past like just someone's BMI and like someone may have a bigger body or have a higher BMI, but be doing so many other like, um, healthy behaviors and, you know, that's perfectly fine then, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's really something that the, you know, the health at every size, uh, framework highlights is weight or overweight does not equal unhealthy. Like you can have uh, somebody categorized as like, you know, an average or a thin person, and they might still be unhealthy, or mm-hmm. you can have somebody who is maybe overweight or obese, and they might also be unhealthy, but they could also be healthy, just like a thin person could also be healthy. So yeah, I think that that the framework kind of really separates those things. And when I was learning that, I was like, oh my gosh, that really clicks. Like that actually makes so much sense. I don't know why I never like thought about it before, because think in the past I definitely have and it's good that you're seem to be getting such like a, a more holistic kind of view of education yeah and um, we even had like a patient um, who's had the experience of like having gone through like obesity and trying different treatments for obesity and I think ultimately they had like a gastric bypass like surgery they came and they talked to us about their experience and times when they felt that they had been, um, that there was bias against them, like within the healthcare system and also like what their journey was like. And I think that's really helpful too, just to get that like patient perspective of it. Um, and also like with my patient mentor that I've been like having conversations with, there's definitely been times where like they've told me that, you know, their doctors, they feel like they just zeroed in on their weight, like from the first second they entered the room and that really like lost a lot, a lot of trust between them and their physicians. So I think just like being exposed to these stories and hearing about them really like is able to round out the education and all those like very didactic lectures that we get on. This is what BMI is. This is what obesity is. And really like, I guess, emphasizes the human aspect of it, which is that everything is complex. There's so many factors that go into everything and like having a positive long-term relationship with a patient is probably most important um, than anything else. Definitely. And I think that that's um, something that's really in line with what I am kind of also taught in my school, you know, first and foremost, the relationship with the client is the most important aspect. And if you don't, if you don't have a relationship with the client, then nothing is going to like, you're not going to get anywhere with that, um, therapeutic relationship. So, and I think in medical, 
school and maybe with medical professionals, there can be more of like an expert to learner relationship. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, in therapy, we're kind of more, we're less of an expert and more of um, a person, a person just supporting another person um, so that we can kind of get that equality in the sessions. Cause obviously with therapy, having like an expert, um, you know, maybe in history with uh, psychotherapy and stuff has not played out the best. Um, so it's really more of like an equal relationship now, but it seems like in the medical field, that's also kind of shifting. And instead of like expert and, you know, learner, it's a little bit different, but then again, medical is so different and you are an expert. And that is like just the reality because you have all the knowledge as the medical professional. And there is somebody coming to ask you for like physical medical help. Um, but it's still important, I think, to bring in like a side of equality into that, into the relationship as well. Yeah, I totally agree. It is. Yeah, it is challenging. Um, and I think it also really, it really is up to the patient too, because I've also heard that some patients, like that's what they want out of like a doctor physician, like a patient physician relationship is just for the physician to tell them what to do. Cause they're like, I don't know what to do. That's why I'm here. Like, um, which is really funny. Cause yeah, actually one of the like questions that we're taught to ask when we do history taking is, um, like, what do you think might be going on? Like, mm. have you ever experienced something like this before? Do you have any, like, suspicions as to what this might be? And I remember, like, before medical school, when, like, I was at the doctor, when the doctor asked me that, I was like, no, that's why I'm here. Like, why are you <laughs> asking me this? Um, but you'd be surprised at how much insight sometimes patients can have into their own medical conditions and um, mm. into what's happened before. And it can actually be a really powerful tool in medical decision-making, getting like the patient's perspective on it. And um, you know whether it's right or wrong or, or helpful or not, um, it, it can, I, in my experience, be quite helpful. But yeah, sometimes patients are kind of taken aback. Like, what do you mean you're asking me? Like, mm -hmm. this is why I'm here. Like, you're the expert. And so it does take a lot of, um, I guess, like, um, seeing what it is, like what level the patient is like comfortable with um, in making these kinds of decisions too. Um, kind of like similar to like another topic that we've learned in like breaking bad news. Like I think we often like ask a patient, like how much do you want to know about your condition? Like how much, um, how much detail should I go into? You know? And I, I think again, these aren't questions that were being asked a lot before. It was kind of just assumed that this is the level that patient wants to be um, involved in, but yeah, it really depends like patient to patient, like it depends on a patient's background. Like if a patient is themselves like a medical student, like maybe they might be more interested in learning about like what's going on um, behind their disease, or if it's, on the other hand, if it's something that causes the patient a lot of anxiety, like maybe they don't want to know. Um, so yeah, I, I you I was very surprised by just how much you can learn by just asking those probing, like open-ended questions. And that's another thing that we're taught is to start open-ended and then get more and more narrow to kind of understand what is going on. So we always like to open the encounter with like, why are you here today? How can I help you today? What do you think um, is going on? And then get more narrow from that, which is, has also been very helpful um, in my experience, in my limited experience so far. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's definitely refreshing to hear that there is such like a, a patient centered approach to it. And yeah, like you were saying, there's so much individual difference between what people even want to know, or you're right. Kind of like going back to what you were saying, you know, some people 
they don't want to know, but maybe other people it would like ease their anxiety. It's like, no, I want to know every detail. Or I've come in with, I Google searched this like last night until 4am, like this is what I found and let me share it with you. Um, and I guess just taking that individualistic approach with clients or sorry, patients, um, I can see would be so helpful. I keep saying clients because we're taught <laughs> yeah, to not I understand. say patients. Yeah, yeah, that totally um, makes sense. But that's it's funny to think about those linguistic differences. So yeah, I guess I kind of came into this conversation thinking that as a medical student, you would have a lot more of like a diet culture, weight focused approach, but it sounds like it's really different from the experience that you've had. Yeah. So I think we're still taught like, um, you know, the different drugs that you can recommend to a patient, like the different ways that obesity manifests um, and the complications that it can have, um, the different indications for whether you might recommend a patient to get surgery or try the different medications. So it's like, we do need to know, you know, all of these because there may be a patient that is willing and and wanting to work through this to pursue weight loss for various health goals that they do have. So I think all of that like, information is in place, but I think, yeah, the really, maybe the shifting factor is how we communicate it to the patient and, and how you would go about making those recommendations, whether a patient is open to that or not. Um, and I think um, a helpful approach that we've learned, and I'm sure this is also used in like therapy and other things as well, but it's like motivational interviewing. So in terms of um, in, uh, inquiring into what are a patient's goals and what it is that they're ready to change and perhaps like not ready to change, I think um, similar in a lot of ways to like, I think also like smoking cessation too, like um, inquiring about it, but not pushing, um, seeing where a person is at in their journey of whether they want to um pursue this as a health goal or not. Yeah. So I think definitely like we learn um, treatments, we learn um, when to recommend like the various didactic definitions of BMI and, and what obesity is, but I think when to use them and, and how to go about that is, is shifting quite a bit in a good way, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that seems like a really key component to the approach with patients and, and helping them if, you know, the goal is to in the end, help them live better lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm wondering with certain like diets as well, like, do you kind of learn about diets to put people on or is that really like not a focus at all? I'm thinking like, you know, popular ones, maybe like keto or like, let's see, oh, like fasting or whatever, or, you know, intermittent fasting, sorry, or the millions of other yeah. hot topic, like diets. Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like a lot of them are kind of like mentioned as like, you know, something that patients might be interested in. Um, I think there's like, it really depends on like which one you're thinking about. Cause there is some evidence for like some diets and like not a lot of evidence for a lot of other ones. But I think the main thing that's kind of like um, focused on, at least in medical school, I think is just like the Canada, like food guide, like the nutritional recommendations, um, which have recently changed actually. Um, um, but yeah, I think like that is what we would typically recommend patients to is to follow that. Um, but I think also um, one of our very helpful like colleagues are also dietitians um, that we can also recommend patients to, and they have like so much more information about like what healthy eating can look like and can um, kind of um, specialize it to the various patients. So we, we have learned that that resource exists and that they have a lot more knowledge on it than we do, but I don't mm -hmm. think we learn any particular diets, um, at least at, at our school to, to recommend to patients. But I think, 
um, having a well-rounded diet we've learned is important. And like the Canada food guide can help with that. But for more specialized care, I think like a dietitian um, is definitely someone that would be able to help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember we actually had like a, um, when we were learning about diabetes, we had like a panel, um, like a panel style lecture and it had like a nurse um, and I had dietitian. Um, they actually brought like samples of food too. Like they bought like a bagel, and they were like, "There's this many like servings," because uh, like carb counting is um, something that's actually really important in diabetes. Um, when you're thinking about um, balancing like sugar levels and all that, and um, so it was really interesting and like really cool to like get that perspective and to know that like, uh, wow, these professionals have like so much information about nutrition and they can really help patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's important definitely to kind of know your limits as well, I think in regards yeah. to knowledge and knowing when the right moment to, you know, refer to other people that like specialize in that area. So yeah, it's important. I think, like you said, to have those like support systems, um, as a professional. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say like, even though we do learn so much in a lot of other fields, I think our knowledge is limited. So it's definitely like important to know when to refer to like a dietitian or when to refer to um, counseling and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So would you say in your education for looking at measurements for assessing health, um, do you think that weight is still like an adequate measurement for health? Like Uh, when you look at patients, is it like, oh, we want to get, you know, this, this amount of like X amount of weight lost, or is it looking at a little bit more of a, you know, well, or fully rounded? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, I think it's interesting, like in terms of the definition of, you know, obesity that I mentioned earlier, it's very vague, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because it does say that it can, you know, impact patients, um, differently, you know, depending on like where the um, body weight is located and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, one thing that we learn is like um, sometimes BMI is not a good measure even of someone's um, weight because, for instance, like they might, it might be a lot of muscle, right? They might be a bodybuilder or things like that. Um, I think one thing we learn about um, as a concept is like this idea of metabolic syndrome, um, which is like a cluster of conditions that are sometimes associated with each other. Um, so that includes like hypertension, it includes like um, high lipids and cardiovascular con- conditions. And that it, it involves um, as well, um, central adiposity. So that means like um, weight around the waistline is a, something that's like associated with that syndrome. Um, and so that's something that, you know, we do a lot of screening for in patients uh, and then diabetes is also involved in that as well. Um, so it's kind of still like clustered within that metabolic syndrome. And that's something that I think is important to watch out for and to do screenings for blood sugar, screenings for hypertension um, and cardiovascular disease, because these are the main diseases that are, are linked to body weight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is sort of a holistic approach as well, because we are looking at all of these different conditions um, that may be associated with the weight that someone has. Um, Again, keeping in mind that, you know, weight is so multifactorial and it's not necessarily indicative that a person might get these conditions, but it might, um, it might tell us that we need to do more screening, that we need to be more proactive in checking all these other like conditions and health levels um, to make sure that everything is okay. Um, I think in terms of like 
cutoffs and like standards and stuff. I think when we learned about, we've learned about a few different medications that can help with weight loss. Um, and we learned that the indication for them is like BMI above 30 uh, or BMI above 27 and um, having another condition related to obesity, such as like lipids or such as diabetes. Um, and then also, I think we learned um, that sort of the cutoffs or the indication for like bariatric surgery is BMI about 40 or BMI above 35 and comorbidity with like another condition. So these are some of like the standards um, that we've been taught. But again, again, I think it's important to like, remember that each patient is different, right? They might have different factors that predispose them to certain things. Um, but those are some of the, the like numeric standards that we've been given. Yeah. I kind of wanted to ask that and inquire a little bit more about that because I feel like I have heard so many like myths around like BMI. I've like, you know, heard like, oh, BMI is like inaccurate, but mm -hmm. it's also like a standard. And I mean, being a person who doesn't have experience or education in this area, um, it's hard to know sometimes, you know, what's right from wrong or, you know, what's accurate and what's not accurate. And um, I can see how it would be, it, it's helpful to have something like BMI as like a standard to you know, measure and standardize like procedures and, and just like kind of the logistics of things. Um, kind of, but as you mentioned, it's, it's also really important to like almost not get lost in that and still look at like the individual and not just like the labeled BMI, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. You're so right. It's like, it's a standard that's kind of there as like a starting point. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I feel like a, a good physician is someone that looks at all of that takes this into account and then looks at all of the factors and looks at the patient in front of them. Right. And is like, what, how am I going to do right by this patient in front of me? Not like a guideline. Um, but that is always like a really good place to start um, and to go from there and to get your patients like input along the way, which is you know what I've learned as only like a second year student <laughs> so far. I mean, this is also a good time to probably mention that these are my own opinions and I'm not reflective of my <laughs> medical school. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a good time to mention that also yeah. same. Um, we're both <laughs> on kind of the learning journey together as students. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, it's so interesting to have this conversation and I guess, um, um, I know you kind of haven't been taught the exact like health at every size framework, but I kind of might just keep referring to that as in the, hmm. you know, the commonalities that we've kind of discussed here and, and what you learn in your program. Um, how do you think, or what do you think are some granular ways that you can like practice that with clients kind of like in a session? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think it's like something we're all <laughs> struggling with and thinking yeah. about like, how am I like going to actively do this? Um, I think like a lot of what we talked about so far, just like in terms of letting the client like take the lead, like the patient take the lead is like really like the key cornerstone of that and like of what they want to focus on. So again, like if weight is an issue for them, that's amazing. And that's something that we can discuss and work on. And the physician can give like so many different recommendations, like depending on what they're wanting to do, whether they just want lifestyle recommendations, whether they want um, to explore uh, pharmaceuticals or other things. But if it's something that the patient, you know, has valid concerns about pursuing or if it's something that they just um, don't want to focus on, like then the point shouldn't be belabored again because of, of how important like um, that relationship is as well. 
and yeah, I think like, again, like decentralizing the kind of conversation from not just weight, but like other health outcomes, such as blood glucose levels, such as hypertension, um, and making sure that those are taken care of and addressing those, um, complications, whether that is, um, through hypertension medications, if the patient has hypertension or other things like lifestyle modifications is always something that the patient can do to help with those conditions. But there are other options as well. There's a lot of different pharmacotherapies um, that can be tried to. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of back and forth um, and just making it patient-centered, I guess, which is what, we're, what we always go back to. Yeah. I'm hearing that like the communication is really such a key aspect of that and just, you know, working with the patient, um, instead of just working on them. My supervisor had an interesting idea for, um, people that are seeking medical help, but maybe have, you know, previous, um, experiences with weight or just a little bit of trauma around that. Um, and sometimes it can be hard to you know, confide in people that, especially if you're going to like, you know, a new doctor or a walk-in and you don't know these people, it can be challenging to kind of, uh, you know, open up about that, that part of yourself, if it's something you struggle about. She kind of had an idea of like creating a little card or something that you can like give a doctor and be like, um, I'm just weight sensitive. Like, I don't, I would prefer not to have my weight measured if possible, or like, I don't want to know what my weight is. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, and it actually reminds me of kind of, cause like when you mentioned trauma, it reminds me of like trauma-informed care. Um, mm -hmm. so that's something that's just as of this year, like slowly being introduced sort of, um, into our curriculum, like in a very mm -hmm. official capacity, which is like super cool. And we've had a lot of like advocacy from students around this topic and a lot of like, um, really like on the groundwork from like actual students and like making this be a part of our curriculum, which is so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have had some sessions on like trauma informed care and sort of creating a space in which the patient is comfortable like sharing with you um, maybe things that have happened in the past that may um, impact like their health and also impact like the ways that they will react to um, your medical care and the information that you're giving them so I think that is such a cool idea and it's like very trauma-informed um, like if the patient if that's something that they want to do to let you know that this is something that they've had maybe adverse um, experiences with in the past and something that they would prefer not to go into I I think that's like a great idea. Yeah. And that really like goes with the principles of trauma-informed care too. Because mm -hmm. I think also something um, in terms of trauma-informed care that we sort of learned is that right now we're kind of going, because before, like when they were still like kind of starting to implement this idea, it was I like some physicians use like a screening tool, like a trauma screening tool in which like they're given a sheet of paper and they just have to like check off like um, what they've like their traumas, I guess, which is not the most like the best trauma informed. <laughs> yeah, it's not the most trauma informed way to do it. Um, and going into more of like an inquiry model in which like if like create the safe space and then if the patient is comfortable, they will tell you rather than just like focusing on having the patient like have to tell you because that can be traumatizing itself too. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think you know some physicians may not know like whether that's something that's okay to ask about or like how to approach that. So I think that's such a cool way to, for patients to like advocate for themselves is to just um, have that card or or give the physician that kind of like um, 
that that bit of information. I know I I certainly want to be very open to that. Um, but again, there's a lot of different physicians that practice a lot of different ways. So it might not be accepted, um, you know, depending on what practice you're at and, and what they've been taught in the past. But yeah, I think that's such a great idea. That's so exciting to hear that your um, education is taking, you know, um, a point of trauma-informed practice. Yeah. Um, personally, I, I um, am focusing on going into work future work with eating disorders and disordered eating, um, as a counselor and a therapist. And I mean, that can be very traumatic for people and people have very complex relationships with food and, you know, have gone through a lot with their bodies. And so you really do have to take a a trauma-informed, um, approach to it and, you know, be very sensitive in your care and how you support these people. Um, so that's, I'm really happy to hear that you know, that's slowly getting, um, you know, brought into your education as well. Cause yeah, it can be really scary to be, you know, patient or be on the other side of care. Like you're already maybe worried about your health and your what's going on for you. And then you, you know, are seeking help and then, you know, you have to divulge maybe other information or it just might even be more traumatizing for you to kind of go through that process of, being vulnerable with somebody with your, you know, physical or mental health, I think. Yeah, I think it's so important. And it's like, it strays so far from, I think, like historical perceptions of like what medicine is, it's this guy, like, (laughs) just like telling you like, this is what you have to do. And like Mm -hmm. emotions, like, what are those? Like, I'm just here to give you facts and give you treatments. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, so much more complex than that. And like, being able to develop that especially for family doctors who have like a longitudinal relationship with their patient that they will maybe know them for years and years at a time to like have that information is so like valuable um so it's really great that we're you know starting to learn more about that and to incorporate that um but yeah it does show you just how like new (laughs) this change in curriculum is that it's you know so recent for us so um it's probably safe to say that it's not being practiced widely Uh, Mm -hmm. currently but hopefully you know that's something that can change too because like again physicians are learning all the time and and things change all the time too um yeah yeah totally maybe my last question here can be then if you have any ideas I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot right now but you know what are some ways that professionals in your field can you know further incorporate maybe a health at every size kind of framework into practice with patients or practice with other professionals around them yeah great question um yeah i think like again keeping in mind you know all the different factors and into like what goes into weight into size and also keeping in mind just like what society we live in and just you know mm-hmm. how brutal it can be um just in terms of like the history with like what's happening in terms of like war against obesity and just like all the media messaging and like the, um, I don't know, like in terms of like me being like a young girl, like I always think about like the Kardashians and just like <laughs> the damage that they've done to like mm-hmm. a lot of like young girls, like self-esteem and like this unrealistic expectation of like bodies are supposed to look like. So just like knowing that those are pressures that are exerted on people like at all times and then they come into this medical setting which is supposed to be a safe space 
and to have those reinforced is like doubly harmful, I think. So it's, I think, really important to think about like what demographic your patient is and like where they're coming from and what pressures they may have already been exposed to. Um, keeping that in mind, I think is pretty like trauma informed. And then maybe taking a further step to get to know your patient more, get to know their past experiences um, with this topic and with healthcare professionals in general to know, you know, what your approach should be. Um, and then of course, keeping in mind that health is a very broad topic and can, can include so many things like diet and exercise and mental health and taking more of, um, I guess, like a strength-based approach to it too. And like praising like what your patient is already doing for their health, like what they're good at, which is, I think, you know, a simple concept, but like, in practice, like it's not usually done, right? We usually just focus on what can your patient do better, but it can just be so nice and so motivating to give that positive reinforcement. Um, and then also then um, think about what are areas that we can work on. Wow. Thank you so much. That was so much great information. And I have like an instilled hope for our future generation of like medical professionals. <laughs> oh, I'm um, so glad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is amazing. And I feel like I learned so much and, um, you know, maybe this is some personal biases, but I think I, I came into this thinking that, you know, as a medical student, it would be maybe a very different experience for you. Maybe just from the experience I've had with medical professionals. Um, but I'm like, so pleasantly surprised to hear that, you know, your education does sound so like holistic and well-rounded and you know, slowly incorporating, you know, trauma-informed and strength-based and um, a really more, you know, patient-centered focus, which is great to hear. And it, it sounds like to me anyway, what I'm learning with mental health and how, supporting mental health, it feels like the physical and the mental are slowly kind of being combined and kind of taken into one rather than so separate. So that makes me very happy to hear. Yeah, like that that really is the goal too. Um, like we're currently in uh psychiatry block right now. Um, because mm -hmm. we like learn it in like different chunks and stuff. Um, yeah. and it still surprises me so much how much like mental health is still like really removed from medicine. Yes. It's like then <laughs> it comes to yeah, like psychotherapy, it's like great, get them psychotherapy. Like <laughs> and it's like we're more like logistically, like how does that happen? Like what is the process? Is it, you know, all private? Like is there anything that we can do to like promote <laughs> that? And it, there still is like such a huge, huge gap, um, I think. But yeah, you're right. Like we're slowly starting to see like more holistic health, like being practiced like widely. Um, so that's really nice to see. Um, but yeah, there are <laughs> a lot of gaps, not to be not to end it on a negative <laughs> note. <laughs> no, just me something and you that... can start, we can start closing the gaps little by little. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the goal too. And like, of course, and then psych, like what probably the biggest thing that I've taken away from it is that, you know, a lot of the time, like both like medicine and therapy, like pharm pharmacotherapy and like counseling is the way to go. Like it's synergistic in a lot of conditions that can help. Um, so yeah, working together is important. <laughs> totally. Yes. And I think that it's so important to have like references within the field, you know, um, as a counselor, like you said, like reach out to the dietitians, like reach out to the naturopaths. But I think that, you know, for some, or it's sometimes, you know, medical doctors and maybe like counselors or therapists, like you were saying, like, where is maybe the connection, um, or the references. And I think that maybe that's an important thing to 
you know, do in future contact people and, um, stay, you know, in tune with other professions and connect. Totally. Yeah. Interdisciplinary health is like so important. And like, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you're not an expert in an area, why wouldn't you consult Mm -hmm. an expert in an area? And I feel like I've been pretty lucky to like, I feel like know, you know, people in like various professions, like my sister is a a, a counselor and like, you know, my sister and um, yeah, like my partner is finishing up like his pharmacy program. And like, he's Mm -hmm. all about like, did you know pharmacists can do this and that and that? And I'm like, no, I didn't know. (laughs) Like we don't learn much about pharmacists and how we can work together. So whenever we can, I think like moving towards like an interdisciplinary health model, like is really, really beneficial for all parties involved. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today and kind of being a part of this project. I really enjoyed hearing what you had to say. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope this was informative and helped you learn more about health at every size. Stay tuned for our next episode where we hear from Boopy Dule, a professor and clinical counselor. Thank you.